Hi, everyone. Welcome to my weekly therapy session. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I made bratwurst tonight for dinner, and Ooh. they were outstanding. So my weekend is really taking a, a lovely 180, if I say so myself. So did you decide to what, – like, what, what, what's, the, uh, what's the preparation we're talking about here? Okay, so I chopped up some onions, um, and I poured um, four Miller High Lives, because I'm just living living the dream here, Oof. into a pot, uh, boiled that with the onion, uh, put the brats in, and then I have an indoor-outdoor grill, which I then threw them on to give them a good little char, and then I added some Dijon mustard, um, mm. because I'm, I'm into fancy mustards, and it was a, a lovely dinner here on a Sunday night. Well, for one, I'm going to – I'll send you a video about how to make good homemade mustard, and, and it's apparently quite nice. But is, so is, is – is, uh, apologies that we're not talking about football. I think all of you understand that we really don't want to talk about football right now. Uh, is cooking with beer like cooking with wine where the general recommendation is cook with something you'd want to drink or did, did it taste good regardless? Uh, my logic was I'm going to put these beers on my uh, stovetop, so I don't think it matters what kind of beer it is. So, so I grabbed, so what, I, I grabbed though, what I had the most of. So even though, it's a bad, uh, even though it's been a bad season, you're still being a Penn State Twitter person by warming up beers. That's, uh, that is good. It was a roundabout way uh, to kind of make this season feel somewhat normal. Yeah. Um, again, obviously, as I say every week, obviously by now if you're listening, you know uh, exactly what the situation is with Penn State football. Penn State this week uh, – 41 to 21 loss to Iowa at home. First time since 2010 that Penn State has lost to Iowa. First time that James Franklin has lost to Iowa, uh, a, a team that he is normally, that his teams have normally played against very well, even if they haven't always been the highest scoring games on earth or anything like that. Um, uh, b- before we dive into the game itself, Matt, let's let's talk morale after this one. Just your own morale. Like, to me, Indiana was a gut punch, but, you know, that felt fluky. Ohio State, that that felt like, you know, Ohio State beat Penn State. That was always going to happen. Maryland was probably the low point for me. Uh, and Nebraska, I just felt dead inside. Because Nebraska, I at least felt like there were some positive takeaways. Iowa, like, I'm almost at a loss where I'm not angry, I'm not disappointed I'm not upset it's just like I feel like I'm really now uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for Uh, not accepting but really now it's being hammered home just how bad this team is I don't think I'm mad that they lost because again this is this is an asterisk season like no matter how you spin it like whoever wins the title this year is gonna have an asterisk because it's just it's so messed up and it's so weird to see the sec cancel like most of their games one week and then the pac-12 cancel you know four of their games the next week like it's such a weird season so if we're going to have a bad season have it be this year it is weird to me that assuming penn state doesn't go to a bowl game which even if you go winless you can technically make do not go to a bowl game penn state please i'm begging you uh this is going to be the first losing season since 04 like it, it that feels weird but i think what has made me most mad. Like, I'm fine with losing. Uh, again, it's a weird season. What's making me mad is how they're losing. And like I wrote last year, around this time, uh, after Minnesota, Penn State keeps letting average to mediocre quarterbacks have career days. And Spencer Petras or Petras didn't pick them apart in any sense of the word. But he looked 
really, really good. And he is the fifth quarterback Penn State's faced that has looked very, very good. And that is a big problem and something I don't think there has to be too many drastic takeaways from this season. But if there's one, it's that this defense is broken and something has to change. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's making coaching changes, personnel changes, but whatever it is, like this game was the sixth time in a row, dating back to last year, that Penn State's allowed at least 30 points. Like for for a team that is supposed to be competing for Big Ten championships, I don't even know what what when the next time they'll be that'll be a realistic goal again is I don't know what this season really means in context, but that's unacceptable. And that's what's making me more mad than really anything else. The fact that the defensive staff largely stayed in place and nothing has gotten better. And I, and I know you, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm going to go on like a little no, like go, go monologue ahead. here. And I know, I know you lost Micah Parsons. I get it. You recruited this linebacker room to be able to make up for that. Like I, I, you, there's no replacing him. But this should not be happening. You should not be allowing, what was it, 41 points? Granted, you know, if it's a touchdown, I don't care. 35 points, 34 points, whatever you want to call it, to Iowa at home. No fans still, regardless. This is getting ridiculous. And things need to change because Penn State is never going to be able to catch the big boys or even get back to where they should be right now, where they would be if it was normal offseason and normal season unless something drastically changed on that side of the ball. And, and that's what, like, the offense I'm fine with. I, It is what it is. It's very clear what their problems are and things that they can fix. The defense, they've had five years pretty much by now of Brent Pye to figure out why they keep on allowing quarterbacks to pick them apart, why they keep on allowing all these, you know, high-scoring outbursts for whatever reason, and nothing's changed. So, So that's what makes me by far the most angry, and everything else is just like, well, yeah, it's a pandemic season. It's it's yeah. so bizarre to me and, and so frustrating that the thing that they should have had figured out, they still just can't seem to do. Yeah, Matt Millen said something on the broadcast about how uh, – I, I think he said something on the broadcast. Like I, I, I'd i have to go back and listen, but I think he remarked Matt on – Matt Millen most definitely said things on a broadcast. <laughs> I don't know exactly if all of that was important, but he definitely spoke words. Yeah, I, he said something to the extent of th- this is the worst tackling Penn State team that he's ever seen. And, like, you could say a lot of things. You, you could say a lot of things about Matt Millen as a broadcaster. You could say all that. Matt Millen went to school in Penn State in the 1970s. Matt Millen has seen Penn State football since Carter was president. No, since before Carter was president like dude was probably with where he grew up he probably watched his first Penn State game that he remembers when Kennedy was president okay Whitehall's own shout out the Lehigh Valley Whitehall's uh, own and Matt Millen grew up not too far from my mom hell yeah in Whitehall Pennsylvania sorry I, I I'm on the uh, box score page and then uh, the Iowa autoplay embedded video came up so sorry for my weird audio there you're good you're good so the worst tackling Penn State team that Matt Millen has seen, and Matt Millen has seen more Penn State football than 99.9999% of humans who exist. That's just where we are. This is the worst Penn, in, in terms of record through the first five games of the season, Penn State has been playing football since, I believe, just after the Civil War. And this is the worst start that Penn State has ever had to a season dropping to 0-5 of the year. It is remarkable. And like, Matt, you mentioned 
not wanting to see them make a bowl game. I don't care. I want them to make a bowl game because I want them to practice for the first time. Like, this team hasn't practiced. They didn't have an offseason, and they look like... I know every other team didn't have an offseason. Penn State didn't have one, and they look like it. The other teams didn't have one, and they're fine. Northwestern didn't have an offseason, and Northwestern's about to go to the Rhodes Bowl, if, you know, we have any sort of semblance of a bowl season. Penn State needs those practices because Penn State looks like a team that just hasn't practiced. Penn State also, is- also Northwestern overhauled their offensive staff after 11 years of a guy who ran inside zone. And look what they're doing. Like I get their defensive led, but they look competent. It's, it's maddening to see these teams with coaches that I think are worse than the ones Penn State has on its sideline go out there and succeed. Like this is the kind of season where the cream of the crop and talent should play out. And Penn State's coaching, frankly, is holding them back. And it's maddening, not to cut you off, but no, that just got me it, really it, mad it, now that you mentioned Northwestern and the Rose Bowl it's, in the same five words. There's Penn State's coaching. There are a lot of issues. Coaching, players, all that stuff. Uh, I'm not someone who will ever throw players under the bus uh, because I'm just – like, like I, I'm an idiot and they're playing for my enjoyment over everything else. Uh, but Penn State just doesn't look like a team that has the juice right now. Penn State hasn't looked like a team that's had the juice since, you know, Maryland landed its first haymaker in the first half. Like, God, just every, this is the Murphy's Law football team. Everything that can go wrong for Penn State this year has gone wrong. And you know that was going to happen to someone, but it's happening to Penn State. And, man. It's also low-key happening to Michigan, which is really funny. And I'm super bummed Rutgers didn't beat them last night. Yeah, that was that that game was awesome. Like, it, it led to me finding a good bit, which is just tweeting out pictures of James Gandolfini and Rutgers gear, which is going to make Rutgers beating Penn State a little more palatable. Neither here nor there. Let's talk about this game 41-21, Iowa beats the 0-5 Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, looking at the stats for this game, Iowa outgained Penn State uh, by 19 yards, 361 to 342. Uh, Penn State had four turnovers. Penn State could not run the ball. Like I forgot about the rushing stats from this game. Penn State's top rusher was Will Levis, 15 carries for 34 yards. Penn State's second leading rusher was Sean Clifford with 6 for 13. Keziah Holmes ran it six times. Kayvon Lee ran it four. Uh, Devin Ford, I think he might have gotten nicked up. Uh, he ran it three. They had a quarterback dilemma. Uh, Levis started, did some good, did some bad. Clifford came in, did some good, did some really bad. Uh, defense couldn't stop Iowa, Iowa from rushing the ball. Uh, just a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. And, you know, Matt, we're going to start this with what went wrong. This is a, that's a tough question to answer because you can say so many things went wrong. Yeah, Penn State came out of the tunnel. <laughs> that's what went wrong. It, <sighs> everything went, went wrong, man. Like, Will Levis, to his credit, did what they asked him to do. Will Levis is not the guy who's going to chuck it for – 312 yards and four touchdowns in a game. That's not what he's going to do. He's the guy who 
frankly, is going to give you what Penn, the only thing Penn State's been able to do successfully so far, and that's run with the quarterback. Clifford's run pretty well this year, I think, if there's one positive. Uh, and that's what Levis gives you is a better option for that because you can't get anything going in the passing game pretty much. So that that was fine. But as for what went wrong, it was everything else. I Penn State's offensive line is playing atrocious right now. And I'm not ready to call for, you know, Phil Troutwine's head because he has a track record of putting dudes from Boston College, like like these low three-star, you know, mid-three-star kids out there and crank them into, you know, first-round, second-round NFL talents. But Penn State had to overhaul their blocking scheme in a pandemic without everybody being there to work together. And that's hard. So I'll give Troutwine a pass. But this has just been atrocious from them. And he's like that that group isn't doing Sean Clifford, Will Levis, or those running backs any favors. And then on the defensive side of the ball, nothing makes sense. Nobody is playing up to their potential. The the defensive line can't get to the quarterback. The linebackers aren't where they should be. They're, they're playing guys who are very clearly meant to play a middle linebacker out in space. And that's not something that they can do. Not everybody's Micah Parsons. The secondary, the safeties are playing some of the worst football I've ever seen. And the corners, to their credit, might be a bright spot. TCF is playing really well. It sucks that he's banged up again. Joey Porter Jr. is a really good player. I'm really excited about him. But everybody around them is just playing horrible, horrible football. And that's how you give up 41 points to Iowa, who, frankly, I don't think they're going to come anywhere near dropping 40 the rest of the way like this the blame is just everywhere so it's hard to point to one thing that went wrong because everything has gone wrong and everything has gone wrong in such a unique way that it's hard to pin it down to a certain moment or like a certain instance where things are just absolutely exploding in everybody's faces yeah it's one of those situations where like like you said it's hard to point to any one issue thank because there are 11 issues at a given time. And that's just when you're talking about, like, when I think back to that 2016, the 2017 Penn State team, one thing that they really hammered home was the importance of winning your one-on-one matchups. If you're a cornerback or a wide receiver, you have to beat the other guy in every possession. If you're on the offensive line, you have to beat your defense, the defensive lineman or linebacker you're supposed to block. And I think they said on the broadcast something about, like, Every six seconds, you know, win like every stretch of six seconds. And they just did that so infrequent. Iowa bullied Penn State in the trenches. And I was going to do that, but you need to have some answer for when Iowa starts doing that. And they just didn't have that. I mean, when I look, let's look just, I'm glad you mentioned Will Levis because I think that he's a really good reference point on this. Will Levis did every single thing he was asked to do. He was 13 for 16 for 106 yards. He ran the ball 15 times for 34 yards, which, you know, you look at those numbers and you go, I thought he was supposed to be a runner. Well, no, he's that, that's the kind of runner Will Levis is. You know, he's going to barrel at dudes and hopefully get somewhere. Uh, he also fumbled several times. Again, that's what Will Levis is. This is This was where... I was always a little bit leery about him getting in. Two reasons. One, because this is just something new to him. And, you know, I I think that he has growing to do as a quarterback. And two, 
they just don't call a game like they trust him to throw the football beyond, you know, five to seven yards. And maybe that's because he can't. How can you? Like, how can right, you? Exactly. Thing. It, like, yeah, and your hand, yeah. it's a chicken or an egg thing. Like, can he, does he not throw past that because they don't trust him or do they not trust him because he can't throw past that? I don't know. You look at everything in all three phases of the game. Literally, this game was so uh, disheartening for Penn State that the one thing they had going for them, which was that Jordan Stout had a touchback on every single kickoff he had, that streak got broken. That like That's the point to which this team was. You're, when you're looking for that as a positive, and you, you can look at this game as, you know, what happened in those 60 minutes, what happened where uh, Iowa was able to run the ball 46 times for 175 yards, uh, Makai Sargent 20 for 101. You can look at all that stuff, and you can point to all that stuff, but just in the aggregate, this game went the way that Penn State games have just gone this year where problems pop up, they snowball, and they snowball, and they snowball, and Penn State loses because of it. And right now, we're watching a football team that is just caught up in one big snowball. Every single time, it seems like Penn State is in a position where something not bad is going to happen, things end up going horribly awry. Iowa had something like 21 points off of turnovers. Penn State lost this game by 20. They allowed Iowa to score three touchdowns off of giving the ball to them. In the, by the time they went to halftime, I'm giving credit to Craig for this stat, Penn State had got, given the ball back to the other team on turnovers on down. Eight times this season. Eight times in four and a half football games. I don't have their fourth down numbers in front of me. I could pull them up here in a second, Matt. This game, I think the thing that sticks out with this one so much is it just felt like Salt was being rubbed in, in the wound in a way that... In a way that for all the other games they've had this season, this one felt like the one that hammered home just how bad this team is. For sure. You know what I thought was most maddening to me throughout this entire game? Everything. Well, that. But early on, it looked like Penn State was ready to embrace a youth movement with some dudes who were out there. Like we saw Kayvon Lee, Kazea Holmes, Theo Johnson out there for the offense. We saw Caden Wallace get another start, which is fantastic. We saw on defense, we saw the best series came a three on a three and out with Ellis Brooks in the middle. And then they had Lance Dixon and Curtis Jacobs in there at linebacker. Like it looked like we were heading towards a youth movement. And then it seems like they abandoned that. Like it, it looked like there was going to be an opportunity for this team to get things done. And they were getting things done when they had those dudes in and then they abandoned it. And I don't understand that because right now, you're playing for pride, and I don't know how much pride this team has left, and you're playing for 2021 and beyond, and there's a lot to play for with a roster like this. So you can get these young dudes in, and for some reason they didn't do it. It's so bizarre because it feels like this team doesn't know if it wants to quit, and then it feels like it wants to fight for a quarter and a half, 
And then it feels like it wants to quit again, which makes it so much more annoying to try to figure out what is going on and what the plan is to fix it. it it's it's maddening to me. Like the, the fact that they didn't go back to that linebacker group after they forced a three and out, stopped the run really well. It, it, it drives me insane. I will never understand the logic of not keeping a good thing going. It, it It's, I don't get it. I frankly, it, it's, it's confusing. And, and I have no idea what the logic could be to not keep that good thing going. Yeah. Uh, God, just, just looking at the defense, it really stunk. Like Spencer Petrus didn't do anything particularly shocking in this game. Like eighteen for twenty eight, one hundred and eighty six yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. But I like it's gotten to the point where if an opposing quarterback is dropping back against Penn State, a defense that takes pride in everything it does, it, it takes pride in being able to get stops. They're going to score. Like they're not going to score. They're going to convert. They're going to do whatever uh, the situation calls of them. And Penn State just hasn't quite been able to do that. Iowa was seven. Iowa was seven for fifteen on third down, and so was Penn State. And Matt, I guarantee that me reading you that stat was shocking because it felt like Iowa was fifteen for fifteen and Penn State was zero for fifteen. Yep. Real quick on, on my Spencer Petras little rant there because I, I again I, I it drives me insane how this team plays against quarterbacks, making them look great. So in this game, Spencer Petras completed 64.3% of his passes. For the season, he's completing 55.6, almost a 10-point swing against Penn State. Again, shouldn't happen. His average completion, 6.6 yards. It's an Iowa quarterback. He's not going to throw it deep. That was in, in, in Against Penn State, his average yards, yeah, yards per completion was 6.6. For the season, it's 5.8, almost an entire yard more. It's incredibly stupid to me that that keeps on happening like 18 for 28 you're right it's not gonna blow anybody in the box score but that difference and the fact that it's happening against Penn State isn't a coincidence anymore it's something that keeps on happening and is going to continue to happen until I think a new set of eyes comes in on this defense because right now oh another autoplay video from ESPN excuse me um, but yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely ridiculous to me that that's a thing that keep on keeps on happening because that is probably going to be his best game for the rest of the season. Like his, his neck, his next best completion percentage is 56.4 against Purdue and it, it, it's 64.3 against Penn state. It makes absolutely zero sense how this keeps on happening. Yeah, then there was how I was able to run the ball. You know, Tyler Goodson, they bottled up a little bit, 20 carries, 78 yards, 3.9 yards per carry. He had a touchdown in there. Makai Sargent, 15-101, two touchdowns, 6.7 yards per carry, which, like, that, that that's a number that just blows my mind, uh, considering what Penn State's defense is normally able to do. Uh, there was one moment in this game where James Franklin really trusted Penn State's defense, and I want to ask you about that one, uh, Matt, because... A lot of Penn State fans that I know, this seemed to really break a lot of people who, uh, you know, I like and I think tend to have pretty level heads about things. Penn State gets the ball back after an Iowa field goal makes it 34-21 with 7-14 left in the fourth quarter. By this point, Sean Clifford had come in, uh, thrown two touchdowns, uh, drive after that through an interception. Converts a first down on a third and two. Converts a third and five. First and ten. Ball at the 50. 
Incomplete pass. Second and 10. Ball at the 50. Sean Clifford is sacked. Third and 17. Penn State 43. Sean Clifford incomplete pass to Kayvon Lee. And then fourth and 17, they decide to punt. 7-14 left in the fourth quarter. Down by two touchdowns. Penn State punts. Gives it back to Iowa. They get a three and out. Pick six. Ball game. What did you think about that decision to punt? Because like I said, I know a lot of people who completely lost their minds about that decision. That was probably the most telling sign that this team has given up for me, or at least that this coaching staff has given up for me. You're down two scores and you punt with how much time was it again? It was under five. Uh, Oh, you know what? ESPN's, uh, ESPN's, uh, clock is messed up, but they punted. I believe it was under five. They punted with about three minutes. Yeah, about three minutes and twenty seconds left in the game. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That that's that's terrible. That that is disrespectful, frankly, to Penn State's receivers, to Penn State's really talented running backs. It's an absolutely atrocious call. Worst case scenario, you know, if you go for it, they pick you off and you take it for a touchdown, you're going to lose anyway. Like, you, that that moment, they weren't even playing not to lose. Like, they, they, they were just, I don't even know how to describe what, like, how I feel about this call. They didn't want to win. If they wanted to win, they would have gone for it. They knew they were going to lose if they punted it. So they weren't even playing not to lose. It seemed like they were playing to give up. It was the... One of the worst decisions I think James Franklin has made, and and I will never fully be able to understand the logic behind it, because Sean Clifford, granted, did make a few very bad mistakes, but this was when he still had a little bit of that hot streak he came in with. And I just, for the life of me, I will not understand it. And and it's something that I think is going to, you know, when when we look back on the Franklin era, you know, whenever that comes to an end or however long that goes for I think a lot of people are going to come back to that moment, and that's really going to be a defining play of not only the 2020 season, but uh, but of James Franklin's tenure. So one thing that, you know, if this just happened in a regular game against Iowa and there wasn't the additional context, like maybe I could talk myself into, okay, you have three timeouts left. Trust your defense. You know they, you know that I was going to run the ball three times. You can get the ball back with three minutes left, blah, 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 blah. The reason that I found it so baffling is that this entire Penn State season, this is something that I tweeted, this is something I've said to some friends, this entire Penn State season has been defined to me by the fact that Penn State understands you need to create your own luck. You need to be able to force turnovers You need to be able to make big plays. You need to be able to do the kinds of things where you are able to take, you know, grab uh, a football game by the horns and take control of it. And in that moment with that punt, it just reminded me that this Penn State team is so antithetical to what we expect out of Penn State football. There is no belief in big plays. There is no belief in 
the ability to win the turnover battle. There is no belief in any of the things that I have come to love out of a Penn State football team. And again, this is a chicken and the egg thing. Maybe that's because they don't have quarterbacks who are capable of making those big plays happen with the level of consistency that you need. I don't know. But in that moment, Sean Clifford gets sacked on a third on a second and ten. They just didn't go for it. They didn't go for it. After years of watching Trace McSorley, of watching Saquon Barkley, of watching a bunch of skill position guys who are in the NFL right now, watching a bunch of guys on defense who were always, who almost always had the ability to just make something happen, and seeing a coaching staff that trusted them to be able to make something happen, there's just that's gone. That is completely gone, and there are reasons for that. There are, you know, there's stuff that we've waxed poetic about, I'm sure we'll mention them a little bit later in this podcast, but that's just gone. The belief in this being a Penn State football team, the kind of Penn State football team that we've seen in recent years, the one that has won so many games, you know, 40-plus games over the last four years, that has gone to three New Year's Six Bowls, that has won two of them, that won a Big Ten, that's gone. We're in some new era of Penn State football that, quite frankly, I think is garbage. That is total garbage. And it is incumbent on James Franklin and this coaching staff to figure out a way to turn it around. We'll get to that stuff in a second, Matt. Did anything go right in this game? Like, as we're looking back on it, did anything go right uh, in this game for Penn State football? Uh, Jahan Dotson showed up. Jahan that's Dotson fun. always shows up. Um, that's good. Uh, Theo Johnson caught a couple balls. That's good. That made me happy. Uh, Hakeem Beeman is an animal, and I'm very excited he plays for my team. Um, that's all I got, honestly. Those those three dudes. Like Theo caught some balls. Great. He's you, you're going to need him. Uh, Jahan's great. Um, I hope he. I, I don't know what his decision is going to be. You know, as term as his pro career, but his stock's only going to get higher. Um, so good for him. And Hakeem Beeman looked really good for uh, for Richard Freshman along the defensive line. So those are that's pretty much all I got. Uh yeah. I mean, I I, I was glad with how they started folding young guys in a little bit more. It felt like you know this is out of necessity because you know another injury to the running backs. But Kayvon Wee got a little bit more time. They started Caden Wallace at right tackle, which I was happy about. You know, he's going to take his bumps. I, I'm more than happy to to you know sit there and watch him swallow his bumps because I think that's the best thing for the team at this juncture. Uh, Brenton Strange got involved in the passing game a little bit. Park watched in Theo Johnson. They all caught balls. Kayvon Wee showed some pass catching out of the backfield. Uh, they were able to get run for some guys I want to see more of on defense. Keaton Ellis uh, got a little bit more run. You mentioned the young linebackers, Hakeem Beam, like those sorts of guys. Again, it's stuff around the margins, mostly. Um, I felt that we got a glimpse of what Sean Clifford can do at his best when he came in and immediately threw two touchdowns. Um, I feel like Clifford's very much a rhythm quarterback, and he's very much a quarterback who needs to have that confidence instilled in him. So to see him come out and go touchdown, touchdown, because he took a couple of shots down the field... That was something I wish they built on a little bit more, and it just felt like they, um, you know, it, it just felt like after they got those two touchdowns and they got it to a 10-point game, 
fall in the Penn State 10. I get not wanting to um, I, I, I get not wanting to let it fly from there, trying to give Clifford a little bit more room to work with before he starts let, letting it fly. But, you know, we saw some of the good Sean Clifford, which I'm happy about. But, yeah, on, on the whole, God, I don't even know. Um, do you, Anything they could build off of? You know, that's moving on to the next thing. Just like, as we're going into these next four games of this season, Michigan-Rutgers, Michigan State, uh, three games that, like, I'm a fool for saying this, three games they could win. Like, they they have the talent to win any one of those football games. They have the talent to beat whatever Big Ten West team they get lined up against. They can, like, there's a path where they end this season with five wins, and they end this season five and five against uh, literally every single odd on earth, but, I, like, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't know if they're able to win a single football game this season because they're just not a particularly good team with absolutely no juice about them. Maybe they end up beating Michigan State. I don't know. Um, so when you look at this game, at anything they could build off of? Anything at all? Uh, I want them to win one game it's this week against Michigan because nothing would be funnier than that. Um, I mean, wh- what can you build on, man? Like, I I honestly don't know what, what, again, outside of individual contributions, I don't know what you can look at and say, hey, that went well. Like, th- there's just nothing. Like, you got no answers at quarterback. Your running back room became more dinged up. You found out Pat Fryerman was done for the season, which if this is probably the end of his Penn State career, it should be. Shout out to him. Outstanding, outstanding player. Really uh-huh. big bummer it had to end this way, man. Like, uh, it's just crazy. Like, if you told me, you know, uh, 11 months ago, 10 months ago, that it would be November 22nd, 2020, Journey Brown, Micah Parsons, uh, Pat Fryermuth are all done playing for Penn State, and Penn State would be uh, below Rutgers in the Big Ten standings. Uh, I would have laughed in your face. Um, but that that's the that's the cards we have right now. Um, there's just not, nothing really. I think the team should take away from this, um, and, and you know, let, just burn the tape and, and let's move on to Michigan and hopefully get a win and, and then see what happens uh, and kind of take a step back and hopefully laugh at what's about to happen in Ann Arbor. I'm so upset this football game is happening, man. I I, I just wish it wasn't. I, I wish, like... I'm thrilled it's 11 a.m. my time, so I can, like, get it over with even earlier in my day than people on the East Coast, which is lovely. Oh, God. Yeah, I... I also, I, what would it take for this game to end up on ESPN2? When I found out it was on ABC, I'm like, who is this for? Like, who on a major network is this for? Like, put this on ESPN News or something like that. Like, really? Yeah, something something weird like that. Um, If this was like, remember the old days of like weird games being on ESPN U or ESPN uh, ESPN News, that sort of thing, getting really getting a relegated to that thing. That'd, that'd be fun. God, uh, just make this season a performance art. Yeah. Uh, you know, moving away from that, anything they could build off of, um, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're forced to start riding y- their young running backs. They're forced to get young tight ends into the picture. They were forced to get a new, uh, I think, I believe, uh, Cade Wallace is a redshirt freshman, right tackle, uh, they're getting younger defensive players more run. So at this point, I'm fine with them as long 
as long as I feel like they're doing it in such a way where they're not telling guys to just give up and they're not telling guys, Oh, go out there. This we're, we're playing for next year. Uh, if you make big mistakes, if you make do something cataclysmic, don't worry about it. Like keep that fire lit under dudes. But as long as I feel like they're going out there and they're trying to play football and they are not trying to just like, be cute about it because next season is, uh, you know, next season could go well for them. I think I'd be fine with that. That's ultimately what I think it is. And then when it comes to the coaching staff, like uh, Phil Troutwine gets another week to work with the offensive linemen and Taylor Stubblefield's done a nice job. But like, if there's one thing that I want them to build off of from this game going forward, it is the sequence of Iowa fumbles. Sean Clifford goes deep, throws a touchdown. Penn State's defense uh, forces a missed field goal. Sean Clifford comes out, throws a touchdown. That's what I want. I want this Penn State team to have that belief in them. The belief that they had in that sequence of events where they were able to force a turnover, get a couple of big plays. Uh, you know, Iowa ended up kicking a field goal but Penn State was able to keep them from getting too much of anything. Just do that, man. What is so, like, Matt, explain it to me. What is so hard about Penn State football playing like the Penn State teams that we have fallen in love with during James Franklin's tenure? What is so hard about that? Because for some reason, it just seems impossible to these guys. I don't know. That's a good question. Because a lot of the guys were here. Pretty much everybody was here during just last year, the fun years. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's time apart. I don't know if it's new coaches on the offense. I don't know if it's if it's guys not being in it, where they should be. I, I, I honestly can't put my finger on it because it just feels so much bigger than, you know, simply the X's and the O's. Like it, it just it just feels like no one's having fun. Like, and, you know, starting off the year, 0-2 does that. Like, and then, and then you know, I say 0-2 because they're always going to lose to Ohio State, you know, no matter how much I wanted to believe otherwise. And the Indiana loss kind of, you know, really put them in a deeper hole. So it, it's it's hard to have fun. Like, this is a team that hasn't lost an opener since 2015 when Penn State was bad. Like, it, it's just, it doesn't feel like they have that belief that they can go out there and do it. And then, you know, maybe a lot of that comes back to, you know, Trace McSorley was the guy leading them out there. I think he, I think a team, you know, really embraces their leaders. And I think McSorley was such a great natural leader. Not saying Clifford and Levis aren't, but I think McSorley had a chip on his shoulder the size of Beaver Stadium. Like it, it was such a different mindset that it, it's, it's very, it's very weird that it feels like we can't put a finger on why this team isn't the same as. 16, 17, 18, and 19. It, it, it just does feel very, very weird for some reason. Yeah, before we, uh, you know, I, I, I hate that we're going to end the podcast with what we're going to end the podcast with, but I want to read a couple of tweets to you. One is uh, from our pal Tim Highland, uh, tweeted, This Penn State team is painful to watch, yes, but COVID issues and others have completely decimated this team. Parsons, Brown, Kane, Fryer, Muth lost. An utter lack of confidence, guys being thrown into a tough situation. The season sucks, but it's an outlier. 
Uh, our pal Sean Fitz over at 24-7 tweeted agree for the most part. Many holes to fill, though. Uh, and then our pal Ryan Snyder over at Blue White Illustrated tweeted, see, I don't think this is going to be an outlier at all. Not saying they're going to go 4-8 and eight next year, but the days of New Year's Six Bowls are done for a few years. They have some major issues. Where are you kind of on that continuum, Matt? Are you, I don't want to say cut it into basically two camps, but are you more on the side of, you know, this season is just everything possible going wrong and they will be fine long term? Or is it, you know what, there are some issues here. There are some deep underlying issues here and it's going to be really, really hard to be able to figure them out in time that next year they're going to be competing for the Big Ten Championship again. Again, you're talking to probably the most optimistic person on our site. Um, I think it's a real outlier, mainly because everything that has gone wrong could go wrong. Like even Bill Connolly, you know, that thing was like Penn State had a 1% chance to lose to both, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Indiana and Maryland, and 1% of things happen 1% of the time. Like it, it, it feels like an outlier. And a big part of that, I think, is also because of COVID and installing a new offense. And even James Franklin said the entire team hasn't been together except for like the Journey Brown news when Journey Brown announced that he had to, you know, retire from football. Like that's hard. It's it's hard to build that. Like it, it it's it feels like an outlier, and I really hope it is. But there's two glaring issues in my mind that have to be fixed. And and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but right now, if we're looking ahead. You know, Labor Day weekend 2021, Penn State heads into Camp Randall uh, to face Wisconsin. Is Sean Clifford the starter? Is Will Levis the starter? Or is it the field? I will bet that it's Sean Clifford. I don't know if I would bet that Sean Clifford finishes the season, but I think when you're dealing with any football coach, especially one like James Franklin who um, especially one like James Franklin who seems like he can be very risk averse at weird situations I think it's safe to assume he would lean on the guy who has been there that's fair I'm also factoring in that I think the NCAA is going to approve the one-time free transfer rule yeah, that that throws a monkey obviously in everything so that's what, what I'm operating on and I, I, I want Sean Clifford to be Penn State starter, but I want 2019 Sean Clifford to be that version, even just a little bit better. And I think a full offseason will really do that. And second question I want to I want to throw you away really quick. That same question, Brent Pryor, the field, who's Penn State's defensive coordinator? I would say the field. I agree. And it stinks because I think Brent Pryor is a really great coach. Honestly, I think Brent Pryor is going to get a head coaching job. This offseason, I honestly I, I honestly think I, I think he's going to land something somewhere. Um, and I think that's kind of the perfect time for both both parties to kind of move on. But Penn State has to work those two things out. And then I think we can start working towards really confirming that 2020 was an outlier or more so the norm. Like the the issues aren't the roster. The roster's as talented as it's ever been, even without Micah and Journey. Like this is still a linebacker room with five stars and a running back room with four stars like. I, I think the issue is kind of in a vacuum, but I think those two pieces that I just asked you about are the things that could really exacerbate the situation in the years ahead. Yeah, I mean, 
the fact that next season starts with trips to Camp Randall and Auburn. Auburn is in Alabama. Don't disrespect Ball State like that in between. I'm going they they they're Jason Whitlock is their fault. So I'm going to uh disrespect Ball State. <laughs> um I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh, the more you know. Uh if I remember correctly, he never shuts out up about um being college teammates with noted Ball State alumnus Jeff George. So Oh wait, no. Uh they went to high school together. Never mind. Uh, yeah, Jeff George didn't go there. Never mind. Uh I'm God almighty. I think the fact that next season starts with the very real possibility that Penn State begins one and two makes all of this all the more tricky because next year's team, if they have major overhauls on defense at quarterback, wherever it might be there, they really, really are going to wish they had an extra game in there to get, all those people up to speed and they are, they will be going up against Wisconsin, which is perpetually the most well-prepared team in the big 10. Like for all the things you could say about Ohio state for any other team in the big 10, no team is ever more prepared than Wisconsin is to play a football game. And they're going to go up against an Auburn team that listen, I, I like, I have no idea what is going to be, uh, the case with Auburn next year because it's Auburn. They're going to have Bo Nix, and I could probably not guess anything else other than that. But the, 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 that's still a tough game for them to have to play. And when I look at Penn State and I look at this current situation and I see how quickly things spiraled for them this season, the thought of them starting next season with those two games... Man, that's a scary thought, man. That's when it gets to the point where, yeah, they, I, I, I tend to agree that everything went wrong for them this season and things will revert to the mean a little bit. But at the same time, next year's Penn State team being an eight-win team or something like that, that seems totally plausible based on the fact that we're getting a data point that says once things start snowballing for Penn State football under James Franklin, they snowball real bad. And that leads into the last thing that I think we're going to talk about on this edition of the podcast, which is something that I don't like talking about. Um, you know, I've mentioned this on past episodes of the pod, but I'm an idiot. Like, I'm doing this on my couch right now watching an MLS game with my dog next to me. I don't know anything about the inner workings of this team. I don't know anything about what is deserved for a person to lose their job under basically any circumstance. But I think there are a lot of Penn State fans right now who want to kind of understand what the temperature is on the James Franklin hot seat. And to me, Matt, one... I think it's very hard to justify firing him given the last couple of years of Penn State football. And two, even with how bad this year is, I can think of 30 million reasons why he's not going anywhere. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, he's not going anywhere. Like, we can be mad and, and, and say whatever we want on Twitter all we want. Like, he's not going anywhere. Like you said, $30 million buyout. It's a pandemic. Nobody has the money. Nobody has, unless, you know, they 
find buried treasure underneath the new media commons by Willard. Like no one has the money. Um, and they shouldn't fire James Franklin because James Franklin did what he was supposed to do. And he brought Penn State back from the brink. Like, I, I hate this notion that the worst thing James Franklin ever did was win a Big Ten title in his third year. Penn State hired James Franklin to win a Big Ten title in his third year. Like, they hired him to make the build back happen quicker than it was supposed to. And he's done a great job. And he's going to keep doing a good job when there's not a pandemic that limits how much a brand new offense can get put in that changes how often a new offensive line coach can completely overhaul the blocking scheme that keeps the guy away from his family, which I don't know how you go into work every day, you know, not, not having your family to come home to. That's insane. Like that, that's the hardest thing I could ever imagine anybody doing. Like you're not firing James Franklin. You're making changes to your coaching staff. I think that if you go even like two and five changes have to happen, but James Franklin's job is safe. And it will be for a good little bit. I, I don't think this is the beginning of the end. I think this is a bump in the road. And I really hope James Franklin takes some really big lessons away from this and, and, and really makes him a better coach in the long run. Like teams have down years. Like Brian Kelly went four and eight a couple of years ago and followed it up with a trip to the playoff. Like, and I think James Franklin's a better coach than Brian Kelly. And I think Penn State's more talented than Notre Dame. Maybe not this year, but as a whole, I think, I think the program is on trajectory better than Notre Dame. Um, even with this season, it's just he, he, you're not getting rid of James Franklin. James Franklin is the guy through at worst case scenario, 2023. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily like, I don't think that we're going to get the, uh, you know, what I think might happen at like Michigan, where suddenly everyone becomes very eager for Jim Harbaugh to become more willing than ever to go to the NFL. Um but I like I think there there is a sense of being stuck right now, um, being in a position where um, you know Penn State really can't move on from James Franklin if they wanted to, and I think that has to be the first thing that we mentioned is that even if Penn State decided James Franklin's not our guy. They're not coming up with $30 million to get rid of him. The thing is, I think Penn State does believe that James Franklin is the guy, and I think that Penn State is going to believe that James Franklin is the guy for the foreseeable future, money aside, because James Franklin has a track record, and you are what your track record says you are, and we have enough information to think that this Penn State year is a down year. And this is not what Penn State football is. I think what's going to end up happening, like you said, and this is you know I, not reported out, nothing like that, it just feels like Penn State's going to need to bring some new eyes in to look at just about everything. And my guess is they're going to end up doing that to some extent. Uh, I look at the offense. That just seems like a room where everyone's job is safe because everyone seems to be good at their job to one extent or another. And the things ha that have the offense kind of hamstrung uh, stem from the fact that, you know, just no off season. 
I, I've had, I have some gripes with Kirk Shiraka's offense. I mentioned them a little bit earlier about his hesitancy to really let Penn State uh, take, you know, go for big plays instead of doing the death by 10,000 cuts thing. Neither here nor there. Uh, but for the most part, I think that it makes sense to bring back, unless people are jumping for jobs, bring back this entire offensive staff. On the defense, it just feels like that's where Franklin is able to press a reset button and say, look at all this talent we have. Things have gotten a little bit stale. We've gotten a little bit predictable. Let's do something a little bit different here. Let's, whether that means he decides it's all into Brent, time to move on from Brent Pry, whether you're looking at the coaches in the secondary, whatever it might be. I don't know if he does do that, but I think that if he were to do something, Matt, I don't know how you can justify completely overhauling the offense, but I can completely get if James Franklin says, let's do this, this, and this to the defense. Yes, there's going to have to be a fall guy for the year, and it's hard to make that the offensive staff when all they have to say was pandemic, like we couldn't install, we weren't around. Um, Penn State's defense doesn't have that luxury. So if there's going to be a fall guy, it's going to be on that side of the ball, and and that's unfortunate, but that's just the way of the business. Yeah, I'm trying to look this up because I uh, I looked, uh, you know, a week or two ago, and I was shocked at how high Penn State was. Yeah, Penn State is fourth in the Big Ten in yards per game. Penn State is at 418 yards per game. Ohio State, Maryland, Wisconsin are ahead of them. Penn State is fourth in rushing. All- Granted, in pa- Maryland and Wisconsin have played fewer games. Yes. And as is Ohio State. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Penn State is fourth in passing offense. Uh, a little, quite a bit further down in rushing offense, uh, and their issue has just been they can't score. Their uh, the only offenses that have been worse at scoring to them than them are Illinois, Nebraska, and Michigan State. One thing that I tend to believe is that if your fundamentals are good, good things will end up happening. And the fact that Penn State's at basically 420 yards of total offense a game. Fourth again, fourth in the Big Ten, leads me to believe there are some good fundamentals in there. The funny thing is, they're also fourth in defense, but their scoring defense is second to worst in the Big Ten. And again, it just feels like if there is a place where they can afford to say, all right, let's do something a little bit different, it's on that side of the football. I, I am confident the offense will come around. It might be with somebody different under center than Sean Clifford or Will Levis, whether that's someone internally, whether that's someone externally, I don't know. But the defense is just like the defense just seems like it is ripe for something new. I'm looking at SP plus right now. Penn State is 34th in offense, 30th in defense. I feel like it is easier to justify them being the 34th best offense in college football than it is to justify being the 30th best defense in college football, Matt. Wait, run that by me again? SP plus Penn state's offense is ranked 34th. Penn state's defense is ranked 30th. And I think it is easier to justify Penn state's offense being 34th than Penn state's defense being 30th. That's insane. Yeah. Wait, they're top 35 in both, and they're 0-5. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, rem- remember what uh, we saw. I'm... Remember what Bill Bill wrote again. The fu- Penn State's fundamentals this season have not been terrible. Like Bill wrote, Penn State had a one percent chance of losing both the Iowa, uh, Indiana, and Nebraska games, and they did lose lose both of them. By the numbers. Penn State has been able to move the ball pretty well. They've generally been pretty good at keeping teams from moving the ball. Turnovers have been an issue. Big plays have been an issue. But when it comes to what happens when a football is put on a field, Penn State is usually pretty good at making it go in the right direction and usually pretty good at keeping it going from going in the right direction. It's the other stuff that pads that that they've really struggled with. But that's so is, where we're is at. Is SP Plus behind a paywall right now? Uh, Yeah. What do you want to know? I was, is Penn State the highest, or Penn State's offense the highest ranked team that has a new offensive coordinator? Uh, I can't sort for offense or defense. I don't believe, but I will, I will check into that and I will, I will let you know. Okay, cool, interesting. Like, I mean, do do consider preseason rankings are still factored in, right? And completely understandable, rightfully so as they should be. But still, like the fact that they haven't dropped. This is again, this is. Penn State, Kansas, and Vanderbilt are the 0-5 power teams in the country, and they still have a top 35 offense by S&P Plus, or SP Plus, excuse me, uh, what a lot of us use as really the bar to kind of make sense of this incredibly dumb sport. Real quick, real quick. Um, Vanderbilt, 119th, 121st on offense, 108th on defense. Kansas, 121st, 122nd on offense, 109th on defense. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah, yep. that th- this makes me feel a lot better now in, in saying that this is a, an anomaly of a season. I I can't wrap my head around thirty fourth in offense, even with how bad things are going. That's that's you're right. That's just great fundamentals from Kirk Shiraka. and I don't want to sing his praises because he deserves a lot of, you know, a lot of blame for what's going wrong. But still, that that honestly wouldn't surprise me if that's the highest of any power team with a new offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I. Like, I get what he wants to do. Like, I get wanting to do the death by 10,000 cuts thing. And I think that there are real merits to doing that. I think that you just have to be really good at not falling behind schedule. And Penn State's really bad at falling behind schedule. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's that's it. That's this week's, uh, like I mentioned, this week's therapy session. Uh, Feel free to join us next week. Uh, Matt... I, I think later this week we might try and do something a little bit different for uh, the Michigan pod. Uh, and by different, I mean, I think it's going to involve beverages and a website that every, everyone likes to make fun of, but they're, they're very nice guys. This is going to be the most ridiculous, like six day stretch I could ever imagine. And I'm so excited for it. God. Like this, honestly, this is going to be my favorite game of the year, no matter what happens. Like, it's so funny to me that there's like, the cheese at bowl a couple years ago and like Penn state, Michigan in 2020 is a game. Every insane college football football fan is going to watch laugh and talk about for the next 15 years. Someone I cannot wait. Someone is winning that game like 35 to three. And my Someone's guess winning that game in theory only, right. And my, winners to this game. My, my guess is it's going to be Michigan, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast and all of our various podcasting channels. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Uh, please keep reading and supporting 
the site. Best way to do that, as always, is to make sure you are purchasing shirts and hoodies, and make sure you're following us on all of our various social media accounts. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Alliance Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filippovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Penn State basketball this Wednesday, folks. Oh, God That's getting ready for even more sadness.